Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Jerry Ewalt, Chief Marketing Officer for Restoration of America. And today we are blessed to have Joy Stockbauer, a policy analyst for the Center for Human Dignity at Family Research Council. The Family Research Council spearheads policy issues regarding abortion, bioethics, marriage, religious freedom, and many other topics with a biblical worldview. Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's our, it's our pleasure. And, uh, you know, before we get into the interview, I would love to learn a little bit more about you, your background, and how you made it to Family Research Council. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, really, the journey to a Family Research Council began for me when I was um, studying political science at Grove City College. And my entire life, I had always felt a passion for justice, um, but I think it was always a passion that I didn't know where to put it. And so at Grove City College, that was really where I began to hone my passion for government. And so with that major and searching for internships, I found myself at Family Research Council, um, interning in the policy department in the summer of 2021, which was the summer when the Supreme Court took up the Dobbs decision. And so, of course, this decision was monumental for the pro-life movement and really instilled within me the calling that I felt God was leading me to put this passion for justice to work in the pro-life movement. And so throughout that internship experience, I learned so much about um, advocating for policy that really made an impact for helping babies and mothers in need. And so throughout that time, I began to feel that Family Research Council was really where God wanted me to be as I began my career. And so I continued working with FRC throughout the rest of my senior year and then came on full time this past summer as a policy analyst in the Center for Human Dignity. So you got thrusted right into it right after college. So you, there was no break. You didn't take a little sabbatical and didn't go to Europe and backpack. You went right into the to the heart of it in the D.C. area and you got right into it. And then we, there's no shortage of topics. So you were, you were there right when the Dobbs decision came down. So that must have been really exciting for you to see that. It absolutely was. And I think it was so essential for me to begin my career at that point because it was so humbling for me to witness Roe v. Wade being overturned while working alongside faithful pro-life advocates who had been in this space for their entire career. And there I was, just a college student, walking into history, um, being privileged to work on this issue at a time when suddenly more was being able to be done than had been able to be done in 50 years. So I think it was a great point for me to begin my career um, with humility, being able to recognize all that God had done in those 50 years, and being able to recognize the faithful sacrifices that my coworkers had made for those 50 years while working in that space. Amen. I mean, it's a true testament to the diligence of all those people, the diligence of, of all those people and how hard they worked for that. And you, you just never give up. You never lose hope. And look where we're at. So that's that's fantastic. So Family Research Council. And then from there, you're, you're still there, but you're part of a new division um, called uh, Center for Human Dignity. Really interesting name. What What is that? Sure. So in the Center for Human Dignity, we work on any issue pertaining to human dignity. So of course that encompasses abortion, but it also encompasses issues like human trafficking, end of life issues, euthanasia, 
Um, and it also encompasses um, just the care of the whole family. So we're not just looking to the human dignity of the baby, but we're also looking to the human dignity of the mother and father who are involved in a family. Um, so this allows us to take a more holistic approach to crafting policy that is not only good for the unborn, but that strengthens the American family as a whole. And of course, since the family is the cornerstone of society, when we strengthen families and we make policy that actually does that, then we um, make an investment in the future of strengthening American society. Yeah, Joy, that, that is so important. And, uh, you know, that, that's a heavy burden uh, that, that's on your shoulders right now. And I know you're not alone on this, but uh, it's, it's, it's truly amazing. And I, and I, I would think uh, it's, it's your faith. You've already mentioned God several times. It's your faith that's bringing you to that place where you are that you could actually make an impact in the kingdom. And one of the things that I love, right, as I read through some of your articles, you, uh, you're in the middle of a series right now, and I, I recommend uh, everyone look this series up, but it's, it's focused on the genealogy of Jesus uh, in the book of Matthew, which if you take a look at the genealogy in Luke, it's different. And what's different, it's a different perspective. It's the same genealogy with a different perspective. And in Matthew, we see a focus on women. There's five women brought up. So you have a five-part series uh, that goes through each of the women of the Bible uh, leading up to the birth of Jesus. Talk what what led you down that path, and how does that fit in? Uh, the fi those five women fit in really well with what you're doing at the Center for Human Dignity. Well, I think when it comes to talking about the pro-life issue from the left, we get so much pushback that this is solely a spiritual issue. This is solely an issue of theology and church doctrine. And so I think oftentimes pro-lifers are scared to bring their faith into the conversation because, you know, we can make the case on a biological basis. We can make the case for life based on legal aspects. And, and from a feminist perspective, we can make all of those arguments. And all of those arguments are important. It's important to know, you know, life begins at conception. It's important to understand the science. But with this series, I was interested in delving back into the roots of um, God's view of women and combating the lie that feminist narratives often push that God and the Bible are anti-woman. Um, and so with this series, we can just see that this is absolutely not true, that the genealogy of Christ was perfectly crafted to include women, not only who had the perfect pedigree or the perfect life or who followed all the rules and did everything right and then were re rewarded, but you know, we get to see women who messed up in their life. We get to see women who come from broken circumstances and who experience crises. But we also get to see the beautiful redemption that God brings to their lives by allowing them in the end to participate, to receive the honor of being a part of the genealogy of the Messiah. Um, so I think it's just a beautiful lineage, and I was excited to evaluate it, especially at this time of year surrounding the holidays. Yeah, I, I love that you did that, right? Because it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I think a lot of people just kind of skip over that and realize, okay, yeah, Jesus was born and he had some ancestors. But you, you really hone in on those five, and they're not all the five that we would typically think of as, as being holy and pious. Uh, some of them, in fact, are, are prostitutes. And, you know, it's amazing to see the battles and, and the, the adversity that these women faced and, you know, coming from a very difficult time. And God has a place for them. And I love how you pull that out. I would recommend, um, it's a great study to, to pick up. And, and I think you do a fantastic job of walking through each of those stories of those women 
and what it means for us today, how relevant that is for today. And I think it fits in perfectly with what you're doing at the, um, again, at the Center uh, for Human Dignity. Thank you so much. I appreciate that positive feedback. And certainly it is difficult to be a woman in this space. You know, uh, my peers who are female often want to tell me that I'm just brainwashed and indoctrinated by old white men. Um, when in reality, you know, the basis for understanding where human dignity comes from, comes from my relationship with God and being able to have a biblical worldview. And so I'm able to hold fast to the confidence that God values women, that God values children, um, and that our ultimate good in the relationship of a mother to a child is being able to strengthen the family and being able to um, to strengthen those relationships that are so pivotal to our human identity. Yeah, and so let's let's talk about some of the issues that you were, were encountering today, right? And one of the things that you wrote is that we have this culture of death, and we talked we already talked about abortion and, and that battle for the last fifty years, but we're in addition to that ongoing battle, we're also seeing a new battle come to the forefront, which is assisted suicide, right? We see things happening in Canada, the medical aid and dying act that they have in Canada, and you hear some of these stories. These people are being pushed out and telling them that death is the better option as opposed to loving care. Tell me more about that. You know, I think that the same arguments for assisted suicide in favor of assisted suicide are rooted in the same lies that um, arguments in favor of abortion are, which is that when a human life is not convenient to others, when a human life requires more care than others, you know, they take this survival of the fittest mentality that then, you know, society has the right to treat that human life as if it were not a human life. And so when we look back at history, you know, we look at slavery and the Holocaust, you know, any time in human history, when we look at human beings and say that there's a license to treat them as if they were not human beings, things don't go well. And so I'm confident on one hand that moving forward, society will come to realize that, you know, the unborn child in the womb is a human being, just like a person with a disability is a human being, a person who is elderly and suffering is a human being, someone with a terminal illness, that we can erase all of these barriers and just view a human life as a human life. But unfortunately, the culture of death right now that has been built in the Western world has allowed for an unborn child to be killed in the womb and is also allowing for people to terminate their own life on a basis of something as simple as homelessness or experiencing a disability. Yeah, human, human beings are created in the image of God. So what gives us the right to, to take that life when they're inconvenient for us, right? God has numbered our days. Let's let God decide when that person needs to be reconnected with God as opposed to us because it's inconvenient. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And so I think it's so pivotal right now for Americans to look up north to see what's happening in Canada and to recognize that there is still time for us to reverse course before similar policies become enacted in the United States. And I think that there's no better time than in 2023, the first full year in a post Roe v. Wade America, for Americans to take a holistic view at what human dignity is and what it means to build a culture of life and to reject any policy that stands contrary to that culture of life. Yeah. Uh, amen. I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. So, Joy, um, you know, one of the things that, that really stands out, another thing that stands out um, about you, right, is, is your age. And, and that is a compliment, by the way. You've done so much in a very short period of time, and we just, we just can't wait to see all the great things you're going to keep doing over the years. But 
What we need to see is more people like you stand up for what is right, for what God wants, what is right for our country. And so tell us what it is like to be such a, a young warrior in, in this battlefield, living, living very close to D.C., uh, and, and when so much of the youth is being bombarded uh, by pop culture, which is very much against the, the topics that you and I are talking about. How does that feel? Well, I think one of the most important uh, aspects to recognize of being a young person in the midst of the culture wars and in the midst of standing for a biblical worldview is that not every conservative has a biblical worldview. And so even those who, from a distance, we might think are on our team, they're not always conserving the same values that we are. And so I think it comes down to being able to ask yourself, what do I stand for? What am I conserving? And if I'm only conserving fiscal policy, you know, if I don't care about marriage, if I don't care about life, if I don't care about these policies that are so fundamental to who we are as humans, then maybe I'm not conserving anything that's worth conserving. And I think that's a difficult conversation to have with ourselves, especially as young people stepping into the conservative movement, because so many organizations that exist for conservative young people are just focused on fun and they're just focused on building conservative community. And I think that that's great. I think it's important to have a community that can uphold you and strengthen you. But I think it's equally important to encourage one another to step outside of our echo chamber, to step outside of our comfort zone, and to ask ourselves what we value most. And is it sharing truth or is it owning the libs? And I think that's not always a fun conversation to have, but I think it's just important to be constantly evaluating our motivations and our intentions as we work in this space. Joy, I think that's really insightful. I, I, looking at ourselves and saying, what do we stand for? And when you look at the country and how divided we are, you have this group of very well-funded, um, very loud and vocal liberals shouting that we need to do all these things. And you have the conservatives who are out there as well, but maybe not as well-funded or maybe not as vocal uh, uh, always, say, you know, really kind of taking a step back and kind of watching this go on. And, and trying to step up, but being canceled and attacked and doxxed. I mean, we, there's so many things that happen there. And then you have this group in the middle who was afraid to act. It's to stand, they, they're standing back and they're letting these things happen. And we need to activate that middle and move them over to, to the right and make sure that they're really understanding. And, and I think the question you just asked, like, who am I and what do I stand for? Is this okay what I'm experiencing in the culture? And how do we have our voice heard. So, so Joy, how do we have, what do we do as a conservative group to be able to attract more of the youth, to get more people to say, yeah, I'm not going to go with that popular culture. I'm going to move over to what I know is right, that biblical worldview. How do we activate that group? You know, I think that's an excellent question. I think it needs to be at the forefront of the conservative conversation moving forward, um, especially towards 2024. Um, and I think one of the most important things for conservatives to focus on is recognizing spaces where we don't need to be a voice for the voiceless because those voices exist and we need to elevate them. So, you know, relating that to the abortion conversation, I don't need to be the voice for women who have had abortions and who are suffering post-abortive pain. I can find those women and I can share their stories and allow them to share that truth of their experience. 
And likewise, I can find people who are survivors of abortions and I can have them share their story of being conceived in rape and their mother trying to abort them. And I can lift up that story so that others can hear. And I think that young people are so drawn in by stories. That's why young people are so drawn in by social media. They're so drawn in by influencers. It's because young people, more than anyone else, crave human relation. And so when we're able to put a face and a voice and a name to the policies that we care about most, I think that's going to be a factor that attracts a lot of young people to the conservative side. And the left is so good at doing this. You know, we joke often about victimhood, and I certainly don't think that we should you know, elevate voices on our side and treat them as victims. But, you know, I think we can take an opposite narrative of lifting up voices on our side and treating them as heroes of our movement. And so I think that that is empowering and would draw in young people to hear more of what we have to say. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And, you know, it's um, it takes courage and boldness uh, because we, we do have a society. We have a government that's that's based that that's really trying hard to, to silence those vote uh, those voices, right? We we saw everything that was happening with the pro life uh, movement that if, when they show up for uh, Planned Parenthoods and how they, uh, the FBI was arresting them. Uh, we just saw in the UK the other day someone was praying silently in their head in front of uh, an a, abortion place, and they got arrested. Uh, even even standing there and praying, uh, you get arrested. So you know I, I know that could be scary for people. But I love the boldness that, that people are doing. The, the influencers, people need to speak up. They have a voice. We see what's happening with Elon Musk and Twitter. Um, we hope that continues down head the right path. But th- there is momentum change that's starting to happen. Absolutely. And I think that so much of that comes from needing the conservative side to shift from treating outlets like you know the New York Times and CNN as if they were the mainstream media, because they're not. They're the legacy media, but they do not tell both sides of any story. And in fact, they actively advocate for policy. They actively advocate their own bias within their news. And so I think we have to recognize that the stories that we want to share are not going to be elevated by outlets that, you know, are in bed with the abortion lobby. I think we have to be able to accept that we're going to need to build our own institutions. We're going to need to um, strengthen conservative media outlets and continue putting forth those stories on our own terms because they're not going to meet us in the middle. So let's let's keep moving down this momentum area here. Uh, but tell us some of the things that you see that are, are really starting to turn to the conservative direction. That's really we're making some progress on. Where do you against these these Marxist leftists? Where do you see some progress being made? Well, I think the biggest and most notable piece of progress is that we're living in a post Roe v Wade America, which has not been true at any point in American history that we've been post the culture of death, that we've been able to make this massive victory that now, you know, the American political landscape is free for the taking. You know, we can pass pro-life laws in the states. We can pass a federal pro-life protection. Um, So this is truly unprecedented territory. And at this point in time, there are only 21 states that are not protecting unborn lives at any point in pregnancy. And so this means, first of all, that there's 29 states that are doing a great job that are working on protecting unborn lives. But it also means that there are 21 states that have the same abortion laws as China and North Korea. And so I think being able to point young people, being able to point voters to that massive disparity in the difference between abortion law in the United States and other civilized countries around the world, 
um, being able to link that the United States is treating unborn children the same way that North Korea and China does, I think is super key. Um, so I think moving forward, we just need to continue hammering home for Americans that life is an American value, that it always has been, and that to continue to strengthen America, we need to return to that fundamental value. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. This culture of life that you, you talk about, turning, turning it from the culture of death back to the culture of life, which historically that was our country, right? And it's a shame to see uh, how far we've fallen, but there's momentum here. And we see, you know, one domino after another starting to fall. We know that the left will rage. They will get angry. They will throw everything they can at us. But we've got to stay diligent and keep fighting, knowing that we are on the side of God, and that's the side you need to be on. Yes, absolutely true. You know, the battle is far from over. So even though we've seen a massive victory, that doesn't mean that we just lay down our swords and walk away or, you know, look for a different policy issue to champion instead. Um, you know, life still matters and unborn lives are still not fully protected. And so we can't say that the battle is done, that the war is over until every unborn child is protected beginning at conception. Amen. Amen to that. So, you know, at Restoration of America, we talk about the first thing you need to do to restore America is to turn back to God. Nothing happens unless that happens first. That's the first and most important step to restoring our country is turning back to God. So I, I would like to say, Joy, that it's been an absolute pleasure, and I am so thrilled. Uh, it, you give me hope for the future uh, for someone at your age making such a great impact for the kingdom of God and restoring our country. So, Joy, thank you for coming on the show, and I would ask, uh, I pray that uh, God would continue to bless you on your journey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget that by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, all of us at Restoration of America want to wish you a blessed and prosperous new year. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.